This is Shout Podcast, the official health and well-being podcast from the Firefighters Charity. Hi, this is Kim and welcome along to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Shout Podcast. Each episode focuses on health and well-being as we take a close look at a specific topic or issue. We speak to experts, hear from beneficiaries and make sure you come away from each episode with at least one I might try that moment. In this week's episode, we're talking alcohol addiction. We speak to the charity's Andrea Trotman, who's a lead practitioner, and psychological therapists Charlene Taylor and Izzy Dragonetti in a roundtable discussion about alcohol addiction, why we drink and the impact it has on others. Rebecca Pocklington speaks to retired firefighter Owen Spears about his long-term addiction to alcohol and how he finally overcame it after more than 20 years. And we return to the roundtable to hear how we can tackle an addiction with certain tools and ways of thinking. You're listening to Shout Podcast from the Firefighters Charity. So, first up, let's join Andrea, Charlene and Izzy to hear their thoughts on addiction. So there's many different theories out there. For instance, the medical model um, looks at physical and psychological dependence, and that's how they mark addiction. If you think about addiction as a mental illness, it's classified as a mental illness. Um, People experience intense cravings, loss of impulse control and behavioural changes. So each time alcohol is used to escape an uncomfortable emotion, the addiction is reinforced in the brain. So people lose their ability to control so it's often kind of people will talk about it's doing having serious negative consequences on your life so the substance whether it's alcohol drugs um, and you carry on regardless there's feels like a, a in kind of a you don't feel as though there's a choice that you need to drink um, and that it's persistent, it kind of is repetitive and you tend to do the same things over and over. So many people listening to this may be concerned about their drinking and they may fall into more of a habitual drinker rather than someone that's addicted. A habit is formed over time. Um, Charlene, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on why we drink. I think if we think about it's a cultural norm, you know, we use it to to celebrate um, we use it to commiserate. We use it in all aspects of our life. You know, it's it's fully integrated into our society. Um, and, you know, it starts off as fun. A lot of people use alcohol, particularly, um, you know, in teenagers. And, um, you know, it's, it's very much part of socialising, isn't it? Um, and so I think people carry on. They, you know, it is a, it's, it's a relaxant. It can increase confidence. It can make you more social. So, you know, it has... It has some really good points, I think, um, and it's also used for stress relief. Um, people who may be suffering from an anxiety, it can help. The problem is, it, it, it's when it becomes too much and, and when people drink a bit too much. And then obviously, as you were saying, Andrew, it can slip into that more sort of addictive cycle. If we drink to feel better, it creates neural pathways in our brain, doesn't it? So we connect the relief of negative emotions like stress, depression, with cravings and impulse so our brain learns doesn't it in effect that that relieves negative feelings so next time we get those negative feelings whether it's been depressed lonely it sends a message doesn't it to our brain going hang on a minute I need to drink now that's what solves this absolutely 
Um, and I think that that becomes the primary coping mechanism. It's a fascinating disease. I mean, I personally subscribe to the sort of disease model that it's an illness. People can't control it. It's it's not, you know, when you've worked with the people that I've worked with and maybe the people that you guys have worked with over the years, you know, if they could have stopped, they would have done a long time ago because really every aspect of their life has been negatively impacted um, in some way or another and not to mention you know their physical health and well-being which has massively been affected and it starts off just as you said Charlene you know it's pretty much in every setting of our lives growing up in the UK and so for lots of people it's it's just a sort of normal thing that we don't give a second thought to but for some individuals for a whole host of different reasons it becomes a really serious problem to start with a coping mechanism that might help you know really reduce those levels of anxiety that people suffer from um, it, people might feel that it gives them a boost of confidence and how great is that when you start to feel better about things and and as you said Andrew if you start to notice those changes which in the moment I imagine feel pretty good then that's going to be your first port of call, isn't it? Next time, like, well, I had a drink before that interview and that helped me feel more myself and able to say what I needed to say and I felt more confident. And so then the next time you come to a sort of life event where you feel like you need a bit more confidence, you have a drink maybe. And it becomes this sort of pattern that um, people become stuck in a cycle of, like they then convince themselves somehow that they need it in order to operate at their... I don't know, their best self. And I guess on the other, the flip side of that is that this can be a really slowly, slowly type disease that takes years and years to evolve in some people. Um, And, you know, I've worked with plenty of people who get to their sort of 50s and 60s and then have been like, I've been drinking heavily my whole life, but I didn't realise how much of an impact it was having on all these different parts of my life. And oftentimes it's about drinking on emotions right? I guess you guys have come across that, that people tend to drink because of an uncomfortable emotion in particular, maybe like shame or anger. um, And it can sit really, really kind of eerily or uncomfortably with people and, and drinking can really take away that discomfort big time. I think loneliness is one that I found a lot of people would drink um, for to manage because actually when you have a drink it can feel like that you have company you don't feel so alone you start talking at the telly and feeling like you've got company you haven't but actually it, it eases that loneliness for some people I think um, and I think it's important to say in moderation it can be harmless to have a drink and it, it you know relaxes you but there is a to- you know it can develop especially if that's just your go-to thing to do. Well, that's it. I mean, the amount of times I've heard someone talk about how their drink become their best friend gradually, and it's like the one thing that's there in their life, which is ultimately becomes kind of sad, I think, and, and people realise that. But initially, it and it, it works. You know, it's a natural anaesthetic, isn't it? It takes away discomfort. It takes away pain. The amount of people that probably go home at the end of a stressful day and the first thing they do is go to the fridge and get a glass of wine or have a beer like it's extremely common because it it does what you want it to do the impact that it starts to have when that becomes your default and it starts to increase and I mean it has a pretty big impact on the other people in your life eventually if you start to drink sort of in a in a way that's 
addicted drinking. I agree with you, Izzy, on that. I think that um, over time, drinking um, the same level over time obviously increases tolerance for that amount. And so we find that we're, we're having to drink more than what we would have normally drank in order to get the same effect quite a slow process and and so it, it might be that others see that more than than ourselves um and so drinking more um the impact it have on others for example can be that our behavior might change that we may become more unreliable that we may not do the things that we that we plan to do because we drank a little bit too much or we'd spent the money that we're supposed to spend on something else on alcohol some behavioral traits of excessive drinking can be um, anger um, poor impulse control um, poor sleep conflicts at home you know lowers inhibition so people might say things they otherwise wouldn't um, and you know it, it is a depressant so ultimately it will have an impact as well on your relationship physical health we could talk probably for hours i'll just talk about a couple of areas and and do feel free to chip in um so alcohol affects all of the body systems and is damaging i don't think it has any positive effects on our physiological health. So one of the things that it it impacts on is our blood pressure and cholesterol. So it's one of the most common health problems is high blood pressure just from drinking over the recommended 14 units a week on a regular occasion. So both of those are major risk factors in heart attacks and strokes. So that's something to be mindful of if you're drinking over the 14 for long periods of time. Um, Another thing which I think is quite relevant at the minute is it puts stress on our immune system um, and also a nurse I was speaking to the other day who works in alcohol, she specialises, she was saying that um, it can cause more severe cases of chest infections, they're more prevalent um, for people that drink. But also something that I noticed a few times when I worked in a rehab, that people would come in with skin conditions such as psoriasis. So alcohol makes you release a stress, your stress hormones and these conditions are triggered by stress a lot of the time. So they affect the immune system and then it's really hard to go into remission for disorders like that. The other thing that I did find interesting when I was in a talk um, in one of my old jobs, somebody was delivering that um, the stomach is basically it regenerates um, and alcohol is an irritant so it causes something called gastritis which is inflammation of the stomach so you might get acid reflux the stomach lining's kind of not able to regenerate as well as it normally would we could get kind of ulcers and things like that so people that drink regularly may have like peptic ulcers and things like that so it it just kind of irritates everywhere it goes um, And yeah, it kind of goes down to the gut wall as well and irritates that, which then kind of has knock on effects on other things like causing inflammation in your pancreas, which can then stop you producing insulin in the same way. So some people can result in having diabetes from drinking longer term. Just even generally, if you think about on a night out, and then the next day, everything aches, you feel horrible. That's because of inflammation in your body is kind of just exacerbating anything that's already there and just inflaming everything. The mental health side of things is is separate but connected, isn't it? That um, 
if you're feeling low, if your sleep's affected, if you've got loads of uh, physical health conditions as a result of your drinking, then your mental health is likely to be affected as well. So um, do people with, you know, severe depression and anxiety, um, maybe instances where people suffer from sort of um, obsessive compulsive disorders. Um, and oftentimes, in my experience, people had perhaps been misdiagnosed with personality disorders. And actually, once they were able to get abstinent and stay abstinent, it became apparent that really it was their behaviour when intoxicated that the psychiatrist or whoever might have seen. And once they got to a point of sort of being able to live without alcohol, their toing and throwing between these quite extremes in personality kind of started to reduce and they were able to slightly live on a more sort of level plane within themselves. So there's lots of instances where people's drinking gradually impacted on their mental health and then with abstinence came um, improvements there. But of course, as you mentioned before, Andrea, not not all drinking is alcoholic drinking and it's about getting some awareness and starting to understand, you know, where you might lie on on a spectrum of that being a problem or not. You're listening to Shout Podcast from the Firefighters Charity. Retired firefighter Owen Spears spent almost 30 years with Northern Ireland Fire and Rescue Service and he struggled with alcohol addiction for two decades. It began following his father's death when he was 18 and escalated quickly from there. Rebecca Pocklington has been catching up on his story. You've struggled with alcohol from quite a young age. Could you just tell me a little bit about how um, that developed into an addiction? I had my my first alcoholic drink when I was 18. um, And I noticed that what alcohol was doing to me was was different than normal people. And if that makes sense, I I, I, first time I spoke to um, somebody about my drinking and my thinking was I was 22 years old. And uh, I knew I had a, had a bit of an issue, and and that just escalated the whole the, the whole way through. It just escalated, and uh, it took me until I was forty two, until I actually managed to stop drinking. So I've had a struggle with it for for twenty four years, basically. And you mentioned then that you knew that your drinking was a bit different to other people's. What kind of signs? Uh, were there in those first few years that you thought it was becoming an addiction and it was becoming unhealthy? Well, it was basically the fact that uh, everybody else seemed to be having a couple of drinks and uh, that would have done them. The the problem I seemed to have was when I was drinking, I I found it difficult to sort of stop drinking, as in, you know, leaving and going home at the normal time, the way most people would have done. And I kept wanting to chase this feeling, this lovely feeling that alcohol used to do to my system, which took away all my fears and stuff like that. Um, but I knew then that, the, the, you know, that that was an issue. That wasn't normal. And I knew I had to speak to somebody. Quite early on into your 20s, you, you did join the fire service. How did you manage your drinking with your work in those times? It, it was very difficult, very, very difficult. Um the, the, the thing about the fire service, the, the shift pattern worked very well for somebody who wanted to drink for four days when you had your four days off. Um, I know for a fact that there's times that I would have went into work where I um, I 
mentally wouldn't have been right, you know. Um, but I got the help and work, you know. Then it was called the Benevolent Fund, and uh, the Fire Service Benevolent Fund, and uh, I would have been speaking to the officers who would have dealt with that, and we would have been doing counselling things like that. But I struggled, but I would class myself, I would have classed myself as what is called a functioning alcoholic. And uh, but I have to say that I function much better now without alcohol. <laughs> what was it that finally pushed you to make a change? Well, basically, I I had a lot of I've had a lot of mental health issues, and uh, I had been in contact with a community addiction team um, just before, uh, you know, before in, in my forties, whatever. Um, but it was around about when I was 42 when they actually found and said to me that my liver was starting to work hard um, because of the amount of alcohol that um, I had been consuming. And basically what happened, um, they told me that I needed to stop drinking for six weeks and they could do a liver function test and find out what damage has been done, if any, to my liver. Um, and I managed to stop drinking for the six weeks and then I knew that my liver, I was very lucky, that was a warning sign to me. That was the point where I realised I needed to change my life. What would be your sort of final message now to people who are perhaps just in the early stages of addiction, they maybe don't realise that they are addicted to something? The warning signs for me, if you were sitting in the house on your own and you were drinking quite a lot and you were saying to yourself, I might have a problem, when you're doing that, you generally do have a problem. And it's at that point that you need to speak to someone. You need to speak to anyone from the, you know, in, in the firefighters charity or if one of your colleagues in work or close to you, you can speak to them. But there's a confidential telephone line that you, when you're phoning the firefighters charity and they will point you in the right direction very quick. But it's, it's one of, don't, don't try to do it yourself. This is where you have to be really brave. We're brave every day when we're fighting fires and rescuing people and on all the all that stuff that happens in the fire service on a daily basis. But one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in your life is asking for help and putting your hand up and saying, I'm not a super person here. I'm a human being and I need help. We all need help. We can't do it on our own. Well, thank you so much, Owen, for sharing it with us. It's incredible to hear your journey and how well you've done. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Shout Podcast from the Firefighters Charity. Following that fascinating insight from Owen, let's head back to Andrea, Charlene and Izzy as they pick up on some of the important points he raised. Where Owen mentioned he always drank differently, um, this made me recall working in the rehab because often people would say their relationship with alcohol was always different. Um, and I think when you're in your late teens, 20s, you maybe don't notice, but then you almost get, you can maybe get left behind because other people are um, doing things that don't orientate around alcohol. They're kind of get, having relationships, children, promotions, and maybe you are still having those things but your drinking still is similar to when you were in your late teens, early 20s. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I, I had exactly the same um, kind of reaction to that when, when Owen spoke about initially, you know, that first drink at the age of 18. And then from around his early 20s, I think he, he spoke about um, just feeling like his relationship with alcohol was just kind of different to the people around him. And that, yeah, absolutely was one of the things that was really common in the people that I've worked with in in addiction um, before. 
Um, and again, just as you said, Andrea, other things become more important to other people. But for someone who's maybe suffering from alcoholism, alcohol is the most important thing. It's, a, it's such a tough disease because of that. And it's so hard for people to stop as well. I think it's really important. I was thinking about when we were preparing for this, that um, in, in the place that I worked at previously, we would talk a lot about how um, relapse is a part of, you know, suffering from alcoholism. It's like part of the journey. And there might be lots of attempts to try and get help or try and curtail or slow down drinking and it might work for a bit and then it gets worse again and they talk about alcoholism being a progressive disease that you know if it it gets worse and worse and worse really until you're able to find a way to manage it whether that's reducing or stopping completely. Owen also mentions um, being a functional functioning alcoholic um, and often people feel their drinking isn't too problematic because they still go to work. And I found that a lot. People would be like, well, I still do everything, so it's OK. Um, and I would often ask, well, let's say, for instance, you lost your job um, and something, you know, you something happened in your life. Would you drink every day? And they're like, oh, well, possibly yeah probably i've seen this obviously um and you know and particularly even within the charity you know firefighters that have um had the structure uh, um you know the work you know the retired firefighters and then you know they can um have a drink at lunchtime in the pub and have you know with their meal and you know and I, and i think that's when it starts and i think what andrew was saying earlier about loneliness because alcohol becomes your your trusted friend doesn't it that bottle becomes everything that you project onto it i was thinking about the um acronym that's used a lot in 12 step programs called halt which is hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you know, do not drink on any of these. One of the other um, AA things, I mean, Charlene, you mentioned HALT, which is a really good one, but also the, a really powerful thing to think about um, is just for today. Just for today, I'll put it off. I won't have a drink today. Um, what, and they talk about just one day at a time. And that's all it can be. You know, you can't, if you think about three months time or a year's time, it's like it's too big a mountain to climb, too much pressure. Whereas if you bring it to the day, and if sometimes you need to, like into the hour, as you said, Andrea, because they can, those cravings can pass um, if you give them time to pass. Whereas if you act on it very quickly, it's, you know, that, that hard work is kind of, undone in that moment and it and it needn't be I guess it leads us neatly on in a way to the resources that we've got available as a charity we've got a whole bunch of resources available on our website we did a live webinar earlier in the year on alcohol and and the impacts that it can have but also we do have the counselling service as well here um, so it is an option people can get in touch um, to see if and we'll do an assessment and we can see if it's something that might um be suitable and that can that can go quite a long way sometimes sometimes it's just a really the first step um in a much longer journey we can work with um individuals who may be binge drinking but it's going to be down to individual need and, and assessment but um but we, we we certainly have um the skills to work with people that have um abstained and are now looking to work um and explore the underlying issues 
I think a bit like Owen said, he he came to the charity because um, he just needed a bit of relapse prevention work, and and that's what he engaged in with the charity. So not necessarily if you're drinking problematically, you probably need specialist alcohol support um, from a service locally to you. If you feel concerned about your relationship with alcohol, you should consider contacting your GP. You're listening to Shout Podcast from the Firefighters Charity. If anything in today's podcast episode has affected you, you can head to the alcohol section on the health and awareness page of our website. There you'll also find a recording of our webinar and, of course, there are links in the show notes. firefightercharity.org.uk forward slash shout podcast to find out more. You can make sure you don't miss any of the main podcast or Shout Podcast Plus episodes by subscribing via your usual platform. In the next episode, in a fortnight's time, we're talking about the importance of caring, the different types of carers and circumstances people find themselves in. We'll be speaking to welfare lead Carrie Pierce. We speak to a beneficiary who'll be reflecting on their journey as a carer. And of course, we'll be letting you know how the charity can help. Until then, take care. Shout Podcast. Please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out firefightercharity.org.uk to find out how the Firefighters Charity could support you. If you liked Shout Podcast, you're going to love My Firefighters Charity, the new social media well-being and fundraising app for the fire services community. Packed with great well-being content from the expert teams at the Firefighters Charity, you can connect with others, join groups, collaborate and have fun with your fire family friends across the UK. And you can get the advice and help you're after from the Firefighters Charity whenever you need it. Head to your app store, search for My Firefighters Charity and register for free today.